We are starting again to talk about baggage, and uh, if you're like me, I have a hard time remembering even what I ate last Sunday, which I know for a big guy, you're like, really? Yeah, I don't have that good of a memory. So I just wanted to recap briefly with us uh, as a group of what we talked about. And if you remember, we talked about the baggage we carry. And if you remember the, the image, I was carrying all those bags and how we collect them throughout our lives. And Max helped me out with that. And the number one comment I heard from people was like, I didn't know Max could be so mean. I didn't know Max. Man, I felt bad for you. Max was just mean. Isn't it nice that you have a pastor that has to reach into his inner thespian in order to portray meanness? I mean, that's good. That would be according to your family. Uh, no. That's what one family member told me. Was I can attest to that. But, I mean... So we had these different scenarios. And the first one, if you remember, was the little boys are together and they're trying to build a tree house and, and you know, you can't because, and they, you called me fat and the harsh words that little kids use and how, I mean, we carry those around with us the rest of our lives. And then we went on to teenagers and, and as teenagers, you know, you, you trusted that friend. I mean, you were BFFs and, and they betrayed you. And so you carry that betrayal around the rest of your life. And then we moved to the father and son where the son messes up in sports and the father's just so disappointed in him. Just can't believe that he would screw up and, and has that little line at the end. You know, you've already disappointed me. Get in the car and don't ruin the day for your mother. Ouch. That's harsh. And then we went to a family member, two brothers, and, and you're carrying all this luggage and you want to hand some of it off and the brother starts prying and instead of helping carry your weight, your luggage, your baggage, you end up barking at them, biting their head off. And so you carry more, you pick up more. And then lastly, we ended with the secret sin that we all carry that no one else knows, that happens, you know, in private, and it's dark, and, and you don't want anyone ever to know that you carry that around, so you keep it close. And then we're weighed down with all this, and we're supposed to go through life carrying all this, juggling it all. And then I gave you an assignment. I gave you an assignment to carry around a piece, a little baggage with you, a little bag, and ask God, what is the baggage I have? And I carry mine around. In fact, uh, I use mine a little bit as a change purse, to be honest with you. I'm an old man like that. Uh, but some of you took these, some of you didn't. Some of you said, you know, I don't have baggage. And we'll talk about that today. Some of you are like, I'll take one, three, five, eight. I can I'll start <laughs> listening right now. No problem. Is there a limit? How many did you buy? Um, and so we gave you that assignment and carried those around. But today I wanted to dig a little deeper and talk about the bags that we carry. Like this backpack. Oh, and it's full of stuff. And we carry these around with us. And if this breaks, it's because it's a cheap Walmart bag. <laughs> but it's loaded down. And so we carry these around with us. And if you're like me, I'm always looking to hand this off. I love handing these off on people. Whether intentionally or not, I'm always looking at ways to kind of lighten that load. And we're going to set that thing right there. Whew, talk about that one in a minute. But we're looking for ways to say, here you go. Here's something that you can have. And I want you to help carry this for me, is, is the words we're telling people. And we have baggage that, that we can claim and say, yes, that's ours. But we also have baggage that, that's given to us that we don't even know. A prime example of this for me in my life was when Rebecca and I were engaged. We went through uh, marriage counseling at Asbury. There's three degrees that were handed out when I went to school there. And you already know, right? A BA, a BS, and an MRS. 
And so the spring semester, they always hold this marriage counseling seminar for, for the newlyweds, and there's like 20 of us in there, and everyone's all that gooey-eyed, oh, you know, we're getting married, I'm graduating. And so we're there, and they give you a test. And you take this test, and then it tells you a little bit about maybe some future problems where you guys see eye to eye. I use the same in my marriage counseling uh, with people. I give them a 166 question test that they have to go home and fill out separately. And then we come together and we talk about it. Talk about things from vacation. How do you vacation? To children. How many children do you want? How are you going to discipline your children? Are you going to spank or not spank? I mean, these are big questions. Finances. Ooh, there's a big one. And when Rebecca and I took the test, finances was the thing that, that red flagged for us. Dr. Gray, who's the president of Asbury now, she was teaching the financial series on, at the uh, marriage counseling. And I remember her afterwards coming up going, now, Isaiah, your test shows that you and your wife are not on the same page when it comes to finances. Really? Okay. Not a big deal. And so being a pastor, of course, we read other books, and those books showed that we had differences on finances. And then we did marriage counseling with the pastor that was marrying us. I mean, you know, if you have to do one, why not do three was my motto. And so we did it there. And, uh, and lo and behold, finances again. And it's because I didn't realize that I was given as a kid baggage when it came to finances. See, I grew up thinking credit cards are okay. Not a big deal. They're not evil. In fact, they're great. They allow you to buy things you want when you want it. All you have to do is make your minimum payment, Isaiah. That's what I was told. It doesn't matter. Rack up debt. And if you ever get in trouble, it's okay. You can miss a payment here or there. It's not going to hurt your credit score. They'll still give you more. And if you get a way over your head, no problem. Don't worry. There's an out when it comes to credit cards. It hurts a little, but bankruptcy is okay. I mean, couple of years you have to live on cash, but after two years you can start picking up credit cards, and within seven years, totally gone. So don't worry about it. If you get over your head, I mean, that was the community I grew up in when it came to finances. And so I brought that into the marriage to someone over here whose family, credit cards aren't for things you want. They're for emergencies. I mean, Rebecca's dad is so good at finances that he paid for three kids, all three of his children, cash to go to private Christian schools. Bryan College, Taylor University, and Asbury College. Checks. Just wrote checks. FAFSA? What's that? We don't need that. So I come into a family where credit cards aren't necessarily evil, but they're emergencies only, and I carry this baggage with me. In fact, I brought thousands of dollars of debt into my marriage with credit cards. And so when I talk about Financial Peace University, I tell people all the time, Dave Ramsey saved my marriage. Because if you read statistically of the marriages that end, most of those end due to financial problems in the marriage. And so six months into our marriage, we took Dave Ramsey, and I realized, oh my goodness, I have been carrying baggage when it comes to finances. I brought baggage of finances into my marriage that said, no, this is the way we are going to do our finances. This is the way we, you know, you want it? Here's a credit card, go get it. And so I carried that in and didn't even know that I had it for all those years. And now, thank God, I do, because my boys already know, mom and dad ain't buying it for you just because we have a credit card. Mom and dad, when we go on vacation, it's cash. It's paid for. I mean, we went to Disney about a month ago. It's already been paid for. That's well paid for. I don't have the regret or debt that now every month I'm writing a check. 
to Visa or MasterCard because I had a great time at Disney. It doesn't happen. And so I was able to release myself of that baggage that I didn't even know I had that was given to me by the community in which I grew up in. And today I want us to look at a great biblical example of someone who I feel probably had baggage. And what's interesting about this gentleman in the Bible is he was called one of the greatest. In fact, if you read, it said that he was a man after God's own heart. And I want to talk about King David. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Give you a little backstory here. Samuel was a prophet, and how it worked back in those days is the prophet was the mouthpiece for God. God was the king, and God would tell Samuel what to do and how to run the, the Israelites, and that's what they did. And then the Israelites finally whined enough, and they're like, no, we want a king like everyone else. Samuel tried to dissuade them, like, you really don't want a king. Do you realize what this means? And they go, we really want a king. And so he says, okay. And so they anoint Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And if you read this stuff, I don't know how many of you read your Bible, but I mean, this stuff is really cool. You do not need Duck Dynasty or anything like that to see some really cool stuff. The Bible has it. And what's neat is this isn't fiction. This is true reality TV. I mean, real life happened, real place, real people, real time. And so they anoint Saul as king. And Saul, by our standards today, perfect politician. Head and shoulders above the rest, you know, probably a chiseled jaw. I mean, he was what everyone looked up to. I'm like, man, I want to be that guy when I grow up. And so that was Saul, and then Saul uh, just didn't measure up. Didn't measure up. God says, I'm remo removing my anointing from him. Saul has a son, and if, even like today, right? If you have a son, your son is in line to be the next king, and God says, no, we're not rolling that way. Sorry, you're done. I'm going to pick someone else. And so Samuel, of course, being the mouthpiece who's done all this, is a little upset, and that's where we pick it up. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Just like kings that you read about, I means Samuel was worried. If Saul hears, I'm anointing someone else, changing the lineage of the king and saying that his family's done. I, it may be off with my head. God, do you understand that? God says, take a heifer with you and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. But Samuel did as the Lord, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came out trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? You know, if you read, again, this thing called the Bible, you read about these prophets. I mean, they heard from God. They talked to God. I mean, I read, I'm like, man, I mean, to hear God's voice, to know that God's saying, you need to go here, not here, and this, I mean, that is awesome. But then I read, man, nobody likes the prophets. <laughs> nobody. In fact, nobody today likes someone who's a prophet, right? They're, they're a little doom and gloom. And so the elders... Saul's saying, we're coming, and they run out, and they're afraid. They're like, whoa, 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 are you coming? Are you, are you coming here to cast down fire on us and tell us that we're bad? It's much like a pastor. There's times in my life where I've asked people, hey, can we go to lunch? I'm going to talk to you. Whoa, what are you going to talk about? What's going on? Is everything okay? What, what have I done? What, what? <laughs> can we just go to lunch? It's okay. I mean, have you ever had that where someone, you, your boss at work says, hey, let's go to lunch. You're like, whoa, okay, what, 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 what do you want to do? What, is it? So, you know, same feelings here. Elders come out, Samuel, what's going on? 
Uh, do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replies, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Pur purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice too. It's really interesting here because uh, last I checked, none of us performed a purification rite in order to come into the uh, house of God this morning. Maybe some of you did in your hearts, but you know, last I checked, I didn't perform a purification rite. When Max and I were in Turkey, it was really interesting because uh, we, we would walk by mosque, we even went to a couple of mosques, and outside they have all these spigots. I'm like, man, these people really like to water their gardens or something. You know, I didn't know. I'm not Muslim. And you, lo and behold, eventually you would see someone sitting there, and they're performing a purification rite. They take off their shoes, they roll up their sleeves, they roll up their pants, and they wash their hands, they wash their feet, they wash their head, and they, there's this purification rite that they do before they even enter the mosque in order to pray. And so that's what Samuel is performing. He's performing a purification rite. Not the same as the Muslims, but a pur purification rite because they're going to hear from God. God is going to pick a new king. So they need to make sure that they're um, ready to hear from him. Uh, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at, and I always love Hebrew names because you're like, is it Eliab or Elib? Eliab, and thought, surely this is God's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. And here's the verse, if you have ever been in youth ministry, you have heard this preached at least once a year. I know I did. Um, People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Good sermon there. Um, then Jesse told his son, Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But the Lord said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. Interesting. So all of his sons go through, it says, and God's like, nope, <coughs> nope, 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 nope. I mean, at this point in time, you're, if you were sitting there, I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, God. We just went through, you know, I told him to bring his sons, and we just went through them all, and you just said no. And Samuel asked a great question. I mean, this is a profound question. One that, as a dad, I start to think, why would he even have to ask this? But he did, and he goes, are these all the sons you have? If the Speaker of the House showed up at your house and said, we are, God told me that we need a new president, and it's going to be one of your kids and your family, and so we need to sacrifice, and, we're going to, and God's going to tell me which one, don't you think you would bring your entire family before the Speaker of the House to pick the new president? Yes, Jesse didn't think that was important. Because how does he reply? He has his uh, Homer Simpson dough moment. So... There is still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, finally. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. It's a really interesting thing. I think the writers are wanting to know that this isn't just some runt of the litter. This isn't just somebody who, you know, you cast away. This was a good-looking man. This was a man who was working in his dad's fields, taking care of his sheep, I mean, you read about David and the things he did. I mean, he was truly a warrior king when he became king. And before that, I mean, 
It was like a modern-day Davy Crockett, kill the bear. Um, it's what I think of when I read his stories. Uh, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned. How would you feel if you were David? How would you feel where all of a sudden you're out in the field and they're like, hey, Dad wants you, you know, the prophet's here, come on, follow us, and you get there and you're like, hey, brothers, what are you all doing here? Well, we went through this rite and Samuel went through everyone and said we're not king and so they want to test and see if you're king. Oh, thanks for the invite. <laughs> I mean, how would you feel? I would feel horrible. I'd be like, really? And so... Imagine that is something that David had to carry that probably the rest of his life. I know I would. I'd carry that around and be like, yeah, my dad didn't even call me down when Samuel wanted to pick a king. And I was the one. You know, I'd look at my brothers. Hey, yeah, you weren't the one, were you? It was me. And you didn't even ask me. I mean, I got the second invite. I got the, you know, oops, forgot to call him down invite. Should have called me first. I mean, I think David took that with him into life. I'm not a psychotherapist, so you know I can't psychoanalyze, but I really think he took that with him through life. Because as you read on in 1st and 2nd Samuel, read more about David. I mean, he was a warrior king. He would destroy armies. He, he was a, a godly man. I mean, he had chances to take out Saul, but he's like, no, we're going to let, you know, God, this is, it's not my time. I mean, you know, yes, there's that Bathsheba story, and we can talk about that. But the story I want to talk about that really is interesting that shows how David acted as a father. It comes in 2 Samuel, verse 13. This is the rape of Tamar. See, David had a son, Abnon. And his son, Abnon, was the firstborn. So rightfully so, he was the heir apparent. And being king, David, of course, had many different wives. So there's all these half-brothers, half-sisters, all one family. And so Tamar and Absalom, our, our brother and sister, Amon, wants his half-sister. I mean, he's, he wants her deeply. He's lusting after her. So he comes up with a way to, to take her, to get into his carnal desire. And he does. He rapes her. Then he doesn't take her as, a, as his wife, so he ruins her in Eastern culture there. It's done. She's worth nothing now. David can't even give her to some other king. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible for this poor woman, all because her brother, her half-brother. And it says that he then hates her. And it's interesting how David replies. 2 Samuel 13, verse 21. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. The end. Doesn't say anything else. Doesn't say what he did. If you look at some of the manuscripts, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and some Greek manuscripts, it actually says, and I wrote it down, it says uh, that he was very angry, but he did not punish him because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. Didn't punish his son, did nothing to his son. He was mad, had the right emotional thing, but did nothing to his son after he just did this to his daughter. I don't have a daughter, but heaven help one of my sons ever did that to my daughter, I think more than just anger would happen. I think mad would just probably be a very light term to use. And you are king. 
king of Israel. There are no laws for him. And he did nothing. Fast forward a couple of years. Absalom, of course, is upset because this is his sister, rightly so. Dad just gets mad. Dad does nothing. So what does Absalom do? Uh, if you read a little, few verses, a uh, few chapters on, it's two years later. He k- comes up with a way to kill him. And he does. Absalom kills his brother. King David hears the report that there's this thing that went down and that possibly both of his sons are dead. And they go, no, no, just, just your firstborn. Absalom's still okay. In fact, he's the one that did it. And so when you read later on, David's response to that is he mourned for his son, but again, did nothing. Again, nothing. Now you've had one son rape a daughter, you've had one son kill someone, and all you're having is this emotional response to it, but you've done nothing. So Absalom, rightly so, stays away. He doesn't come back for a while. Then King David's like, well, I want my son back. You know, at least let's not lose one, brings him back. And Absalom then, four years after that, starts a rebellion. Starts people, you know, hey, guys, you know, my old man here, he's losing it. You know, he's not been a good dad. He's a horrible father. Just not losing it. And so he starts a rebellion. And Israel rises up. He gets some men to rise up with him. King David hears word of it. They're like, your son, you know, they're coming. They're upset at you. And what does he do? He runs. David tucked tail and run. Leaves the palace. And I read these accounts, and I'm reading through this as I'm preparing for this, and I'm reading, I'm like, David, be a dad, man. Be the dad your kids want you to be. Be the dad that, you, that, that God has called you to be. Step up. Don't just have emotions. Step up and do something. Do something. Don't just do nothing. Don't just mourn. Don't tuck tail and run. Don't just get angry. I mean, do something. But then I go back and I read 1 Samuel 16, and I think, man, I think he had some daddy issues. I don't think he had a good dad. I don't think Jesse was a good father because he didn't even think of him. And I think he carried that around. And that's what we do as parents. I mean, when I started this series and praying through it, God was like, Isaiah, what is it that you are handing off to your kids? What is it that you're handing them? What is it that you are carrying in a big backpack weighing you down? And so, Will, come here. As parents, I think what we do a lot of times is we get our kids and we buy them a backpack just like ours. And we give it to them. Here you go, buddy. Put that on, man. Here, let's tighten it up. There. Nice backpacks? Excellent. Now, here's the thing. My backpack has some things in it, so I can open up yours. I'm going to set mine down here. And what we do is we take out things in our bag, like one for me, for being perfectly honest, could be weight issues. I grew up loving fried food, soda. I don't drink water unless I have to. I don't eat fruit. And so I, I, you know, I have weight issues. I could pass this on to my son that anytime I see him eat something fried, I'm like, don't put that in your mouth. Don't you know what that does to you? You don't want to be fat. And so I would put it in his bag and make him carry what is mine. 
Maybe for some of you it's love. Maybe for some of you it's that you haven't loved, weren't loved by your parents. You're looking for love in other people. You're looking for love in other things. And so you say, you know what? Sorry, my mommy didn't love me. Maybe it's your past. You remember the kid you were. When you were growing up, you were that teenager that, that was out late at night getting in nothing but trouble. And by gosh, your kids aren't going to have any of the same freedom you had. So they're going to be in at 9 o'clock every night. Because nothing good happens after 9 o'clock, Will. So you better get in this house. <laughs> Only trouble. And so I don't let him grow up. Is that getting heavy? Yeah. I'm not done yet, though. Maybe it's opportunity lost. Maybe you're like the dad. <laughs> Don't drop it. Right. Maybe you're the dad. And you were always picked last. And that's why you're driving your kids in sports so hard. Because you weren't good at sports. And for some reason, they have some God-given ability and you know they didn't get it from you, but you're going to make sure that they capture the opportunity you were not allowed to capture. Or maybe it's an opportunity that you had and you want your kids to have the same. I was the captain of the football team, and therefore you need to be the captain of the football team. If you need to set it down, you can. Maybe there's self-esteem issues. Maybe for you, you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. You don't even like your own skin until you tell your kids all the time that they need to look better. You can't wear that outside. What will the neighbors think? You can't wear that to church. I mean, it's little things like that that we're passing on to our kids. Those clothes don't match. Everyone at church will laugh at me if you wear that. Maybe you need validation in your life. Maybe you're always looking for someone to tell you, good job, way to go. You need people to like you. James Ballard has a great saying, he calls this validation, the rub my belly. And you're like, rub my belly? Yeah, have you ever seen a dog when you walk in the house instantly on its back because it wants everyone to rub its belly? It's wanting everyone who walks through the house to validate that yes, it, yes you're a good puppy. That's validation. And we, as adults, even as youth, are wanting to validate. You doing all right? Okay. <laughs> Last one that I'll hand off. Parents. You had horrible parents. And so therefore, you are either going to make sure, come hell or high water, that your kids don't grow up with parents like you had. 
or this is a great example of the people that, that you see that are horrible parents, and you're like, man, their kids are so wild. They are horrible parents. And when those kids become parents, what happens? Their kids are wild because they had horrible parents. And then what happens to those kids? They have kids. And they're wild. Why? Because they had horrible parents. Because they keep handing off parent issues. See? People help you. That's heavy, huh? And so we weigh our kids down with these. We give it to our, our sons and our daughters. And we say, carry our baggage. And God says it's never meant for them. It was never meant to be handed off to them. Just because you can't deal with what you're carrying week in and week out, don't hand it on to these. Thank you, buddy. And you don't have to be a parent to hand off baggage. You can be in middle school. And you're like, Isaiah, I'm in middle school. I don't have baggage. Okay, you don't hand things off to people. Have you ever been somebody that others have gossiped about? Others have laughed about? And so you're standing over here, and you know this group over here is talking about you. In fact, you walk in, and they all stop and stare. And you know that they're talking about you. And in fact, your friends have been saying that this group of girls and guys, you know, they're always talking about you. They're always making fun of you. They say that, you know, you have four eyes because you wear glasses or that you're poor because, you know, your clothes stink or, or whatever mean words. And you know they're saying it about you. And you're in middle school and you're like, okay, Isaiah, I get it. Yes, that's happened to me. I don't, how do I hand off baggage? Here's how you try to hand it off. You turn into them. And what happens is, is you start gossiping with your friends and your circles about them. You start saying things about them because you want to get rid of this bag of gossip. You want to get rid of the things that people are saying about you. And so one way to get rid of it is to start talking about them. And you try to hand it off. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids, but you have coworkers. And there's that one coworker they remind you of your mom. And you are carrying around baggage that says, I have parental issues. And so that coworker can't do anything right. You're always rude to them. You always are quick with your answers because they remind you of your mom. mom. And right now, you and your mom are not in a good place. And so it's like, Ugh. And you can tell because you're mean to that coworker. And then the Johnny comes in, your other coworker, and instantly you're like, hey, Johnny, how's it going? How was your weekend? You're trying to hand off your mom issues to that coworker. Put it in love. The prime example is love. You are the one who constantly is going from relationship to relationship. In fact, your friends are always saying, who's the flavor of the week? And those words hurt. But you can't deny it. You've had a revolving door of relationships. Because your baggage is love. You need to feel love. You want to feel loved. And so therefore, you keep asking people to love me, love me, love me, and you keep getting into these relationships. And when they don't, or when you feel like they're no longer loving you, the right way that you need to be loved, away they go. Because what you're doing, you're saying, here, hold my bag. I need you to hold this. I need you to help me with this. And they look at you and go, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
And so we go around and we are constantly trying to ask people to hold our bags. Hold this, hold this, hold this, hold this, hold this. And you already know that there's only one person that can hold this. In fact, that one person, if this week, if you were already asking, God, what is it in my life that I'm carrying? You already know that he's already standing there going, I want that. In fact, I'll take that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And his name is Jesus. And he's saying, I want that. Come to me, you who are heavy burdened, because I want that. I'll take that. And he takes it from us. This week I have an assignment for you. Remember, I told you to bring back your little bags. If you didn't, no worries, we have some extra. Or if you just didn't take a bag because you were closed off. You were the one who, in your heart, sat here like this and goes, I don't have baggage. I don't Call them what you want, baggage, issues, whatever. I don't have it. So you didn't take a bag. I guarantee you, if you ask your spouse, friends, family, they'll tell you what baggage you have. But this week, I want you to take and put something in your bag. Because just like my backpack, we're all, we all have things in our baggage that we carry. And this is a nice river rock. It's nice and smooth. I mean, it's not jagged. And this could be something that you've been carrying around for quite a while. You've cried over this thing. I mean, your tears are probably what's made that smooth. You've held on to it so long, you don't even know it's there. Kind of like finances for me. I mean, I held on to that so long, I didn't even know it was there. I was a well-worn rock. So I want you to take these and put them in your bag. There are other rocks back there, like this one. They're jagged. In fact, the examples this week and last week, they kind of hurt because they're too close to the baggage you're carrying. They're the ones that when people ask you about, start to pry. It hurts because they're jagged. So there's those back there. And I want you to take these, and I want you to put as many as you want in your bag, fill them up, and carry them around. And I want you to continue to pray, God, what is it in my life that you're standing there going, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that one, Isaiah. I'll take that one. That's what he's telling me. I'm working through this as with, along with you guys. There's a lot of baggage he's starting to put his finger on going, Isaiah, that? That ain't baggage, God. Yes, it is. It's tripping you up. It's keeping you from what I'm asking you to do. And so I want that. So this week, take some rocks, put them in your bag and ask, what's tripping, you, what's tripping me up, God? What's keeping me from what you want me to do? And then bring them back next week as we finish out this series on baggage.